0: So in the nutrition realm, macros are like macronutrients are something we sports dietitians have been talking about our whole lives because that just means carbohydrates and proteins and fats and things that we need. And now it's become this whole trend and business of, do you have to count your macros and what exactly do your macros have to be? And so in terms of that, everyone's going to feel a little bit differently on different amounts. And I would just say. If, any, if you read anywhere that there's an exact macronutrient composition that does anything, that can't be the case. Right. Like there is no exact macronutrient composition that will get you anything, whether it's fat loss or fame or fortune or married or your PR. No, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Hello, welcome to Chill Track Friday, this is Ali.
2: This is Anne, hi. Hi
1: there, what's going on?
2: Well, we're in like a new, What feels like a new century planet. I'm seeing you on the screen, we're doing this intro over Zoom. It's, what's the date today, April 2nd?
1: It is April 2nd, yeah, Thursday, April 2nd. We're both in our quarantined, respective quarantined areas. I'm in upstate New York. Been here for a few weeks. You're in, in your apartment.
2: Washington Heights, New York City. <clears throat> Center of the um, coronavirus in the States. It's weird here.
1: It is, how is it How's it down there in the city?
2: Um, I mean, I'm really sticking to staying home. I only go out to go for my runs. And when I go out for my runs, it's I wouldn't say it's crowded, but there's definitely people out. I mean, there's a lot of people that live in Manhattan and there's not much to do. And it's important to go outside. So, yeah, I try my best to social distance and give people a wide berth and give myself a wide berth. Um, Today, everyone was wearing a mask. And then I came home to realize that I guess Cuomo had advised the city to, to wear masks when we're outside or some kind of cloth covering over our face. So that's a big deal, I think. Um, yeah I was hoping it wouldn't get
1: there but here we are yeah <clears throat> from following all of my and our running friends and even our listeners it seems like running has been a pretty big gift during this uh, during these trying times yeah um, so to all of you guys who are still going out there following the social distancing rules but getting your runs in do your thing, hang in there. Yeah. Uh, we're all in it together, but please stay yeah. home as much as you can. <laughs>
2: That's what I'm doing. I only leave for my run. So I've been doing about an hour every day and I have been going, you know, sometimes in the evening, sometimes in the morning. Um, Cause it's really important. Yeah. It's the only thing in my day right now that is anything remotely similar to before this happened because I also started a new job working from home like most people and you know making three meals a day here that's Mm -hmm. different it's yeah it's a different world for sure
1: yeah and we were talking about it speaking of keeping to routine this is one thing we are trying to keep normal is to actually release on our schedule (laughs) even though this would might be the first time we're actually not releasing on a Friday so chill track Friday is Going plus one with a Saturday.
2: Yeah, we might um, do it at eleven fifty nine now, just to make it funny. But we're in the we're in the proper week, which is what matters.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah, just you know, so that you guys have something to listen to, um, and you know, keeping the routine going. And we actually recorded this episode. This episode, I'm actually excited to bring this guest on i think it is a time you you mentioned it yourself and you you and i were texting and you said um people are kind of looking forward to things and maybe creating new habits and things like that so this we recorded this episode um back in february i think
2: yeah beginning of february, yeah. It was the first week. beginning of
1: beginning of february so we're gonna release this now which i think is good so who's our guest
2: Actually, before we get into who our guest is, I just want to mention one thing because I noticed right away when the um, shelter in place and kind of self-quarantine stuff started happening, I noticed all these articles in the paper about like, oh, now that you have all this time, you should do this, and then you should do this, and you should arrange your closet, and then you should make this, and it was a little overwhelming, and I thought to myself, you know what, don't you think it's also okay just to be and just not feel that you have to be being productive during a time that's kind of traumatic actually. So we're not releasing this in terms of like, now you have to become like a gourmet chef and know exactly what to put in your body at all points in time. And this is gonna be like a new thing. It's just like something that we can now have the time to pay attention to before you go on your social distances runs, like maybe try something new, so. This is why, Lauren, and our guest, which is what you were getting at.
1: Yeah, but but if but if you do somehow become a gourmet chef as a result of this, please do reach out to us. We're very interested in gourmet chefs.
2: We're really good at tasting tasting plates.
1: Yeah, we'll just you know wherever you're wherever you decide to open your restaurant or wherever your kitchen is, we'll run to it. Not a problem. Record yeah. an episode, taste your meals. Yeah,
2: we'll go in one person at a time. Yeah. Um, okay. Jokes aside, we have a really wonderful guest today. Um, Her name is Lauren Antonucci. She is the owner and director of Nutrition Energy, which is a nutrition counseling firm in New York City. She is a clinical nutritionist, a certified diabetes educator, a certified sports dietitian and an athlete herself. Um, She's a member of the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, Sports Nutrition Network, and she also consults for the New York City chapter of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's team in training. Um, Let's see, she's also an expert speaker. She's presented nutrition clinics on diabetes, weight management, health, and sports performance nutrition to the American College of Sports Medicine, the Greater New York Dietitian Association, the New York University Athletics, Columbia University Athletics, the New New York Cornell Medical School, St. John's University Athletics, and the New York Roadrunners ING New York City Marathon. She's also led nutrition lectures for Nike Running Club New York, the Moore Marathon, the Avon Breast Cancer Three Day, the Tri-Life Triathlon Team, the Chelsea Pierce Sports Club, GSSI Runner's World, and the Terrier Tri Team. So she is a woman in demand and really knows her stuff. Um, She's written lots of articles and she's just finished a book, which is not published yet, but it will be out in the fall. And I can't wait to read that. And Ali, can you fill us in a little bit on how how nutrition energy is adapted to our current coronavirus situation and what services they're offering?
1: Right. Yeah, actually, we're uh, speaking to Lauren, she told us that they're actually able to offer phone and virtual appointments to both of their existing and new clients. And these sessions may be covered by your health insurance, you know, which they can check for you. Um, And also they have moved from a once per month newsletter to a now weekly newsletter for the duration of the COVID-19 work live from home time uh, situation. And they're including practice advice each week on nutrition and cooking tips, um, daily movement and at-home exercises, ideas and mindful mental health tips from, all, from their entire network of sort of health colleagues. So you can sign up to receive their new, uh, that newsletter by going to their website on nutritionenergy.com. So yeah, very much very much involved and making themselves available even, even during these trying times. That's great.
2: It's really interesting how this is kind of forced everyone to reinvent themselves from a business perspective
1: absolutely yeah
2: i mean it's all online
1: so with all of that we hope you enjoy the show hi lauren well let's start by saying welcome to chill track friday
0: thanks so much and thank you for having me it's a great way to start off the day
1: yeah.
2: Um, so we met, well, I you were participating in the panel for Fixed Women's Sports back at um, Finish Line PT. I think it was in November now. It seems like a long time ago. <laughs> um, but it was right. such an interesting conversation and you had such wonderful things to contribute to the the conversation about women's health and women's sports. And I just thought it would be really excellent to get you on the podcast to talk a little bit more about your specific expertise and your business and right. how... Most of our audience are um, endurance runners, but we also have triathletes and swimmers and um, mostly recreational athletes who take it very seriously. And I think that nutrition is an element that is a little bit more nebulous than like a training plan, for instance. So we wanted to just talk to you a little bit more about how we can get the most out of our performance using nutrition as a tool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that event was great. I'm glad we met. I mean, it's something I'm very passionate about. Athletes fueling athletes and doing it in a really healthy way, whatever that word "healthy" might mean, but maybe we'll get into that in a little more detail as we go on.
2: yeah, that would be great. um one thing where we could start is you recently contributed to an article on um carb i guess it's it's there seemed to be like a term for it in the in runners world. it was like carb, not necessarily depletion, but it was carb fasting, I think. Um, running basically without fuel. If you're a morning runner, not having breakfast or things like that. Sure. What do you think about that? <laughs> and I love these conversations.
0: Um, and yes, I do remember that article. You know, I mean, I think my biggest take is that my undergraduate and graduate work was very science-heavy. I'm a very science-based, science-oriented thinker. And then when I went into nutrition, it was an opportunity for me. To take all of that science, continue to read it, and then piece it apart, make sense of it, and see what works for myself, what works for clients, what works for Olympians, what works for my kids, and really parse out the science into little digestible pieces that we can use in a way that makes sense for us. So all that to say, this is a prime example of, and this happens all the time, which is both exciting and infuriating, tiny little pieces of science. Extrapolated to the entire world, which never really makes sense. So I think it's mostly a case of this too will pass Um, Fueling athletes is the best way to get best performance, best emotional response, best physical response and already think about recovery before we even start so that's really not going to change. There are some of these tiny little underlying changes in substrate utilization that we might see in these fasted workouts, but for most people, that will not make a difference and is not going to be a goal.
2: Mm, that's interesting. So, in terms of, um, we'll use ourselves as case studies here. We both run our hard workouts in the morning, like Tuesdays, Thursdays, mm-hmm. and you know, we meet at six fifteen. I get up yes. as late as I possibly can. So I'm often doing yes. hard interval workout without anything yes. in the morning. So you
0: can't see my beaming smile over <laughs> here because what I hear there is opportunity and how much better can you feel for those workouts? And I don't know how old you are, but as we get older, that, that will take more of a toll on your body in terms of you won't be able to perform the same way in that workout. You won't recover the same way from that workout and you won't get the gains that you could have, which to me just equals lost opportunity. So I am a morning exerciser too. Nobody wants to wake up earlier than they have to, but it's really not that hard when you know that it's important and useful for you as an athlete and then as a person the rest of your day to just take in some quick carbs before you go. So I might make oatmeal squares on the weekends, or bars, or pancakes, or I might buy some of those commercially made Fig Newton bars, or there might be bananas, and I would say, please make it a point to get some carbs and some fluid in before those workouts, and don't expect to be beating people that used to beat you by five minutes, but start (laughs) to see how much better you can feel, and just feel, how much stronger do I feel towards the end of this workout? And then, how many gains can I make over the course of a season because I felt stronger in each workout? Mm. And it's pretty cool.
2: That's interesting, and I bet that probably also helps on the recovery side too. If you've already got something that you your body's used the fuel that you used that you intook in the morning, rather than fat stores, is that correct? Yeah, and the whole fat stores like this this conversation it gets so crazy so fast, like.
0: Name even the leanest athlete on the planet, and they're still going to say, I want to be leaner. So when someone tells you you're going to burn more fat stores, everyone immediately thinks, sign me up. But (laughs) burning a bit more fat stores and burning less calories and feeling less good and going a little slower in a workout, suddenly at the end of that, I'm not interested. Right? So that's where the science gets all jumbled up. And at the end of the day, for me, I mean, I've been an athlete I don't even know, since I was born basically, Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe middle school, high school, I started getting more serious, whatever that means. And I didn't pay attention to nutrition except like we ate pasta and bananas the night before, right? That's what we knew. But the older I get and the more I still want to feel really strong and perform well and feel good out there, whatever that time means, the more important I'm going to make it. And the more important I think it is for all of us to make sure some of these gaps are filled in, right? So the stuff you got away with for a while, you want to nip in the bud before it really becomes a problem. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. My legs are dead and my
2: workouts all stink. And you're like, wait, how did this happen? And it didn't have to. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Do you think that this contributes to injury if people are not fueling properly? Heck yeah. I see it all the time. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Which is why I think what I do is so much fun because, again, it's all science-based. I read all the science. I look at it. As soon as I read something, I'm like, that's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. That means to me I've got to go find every article I can on it. I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to see what I think after the science. And every once in a while, I'm surprised. Like, huh, I'm curious. Maybe there's something here. And a lot of the times, you're like, that was interesting science. It was done in rats. It was done in seven people. It was done in only men. It was done in 12-year-olds. It was done in whatever, and I'm like, nope, doesn't change the way I'm going to fuel or practice, but I'll keep looking. Um, But in terms of injury rates, yes, absolutely. I mean, I see athletes all the time, every age, but again, more as we get older, just because we need a little more recovery time and we need to be better and nicer to our bodies, that we will see reduced risk of injury and illness for sure uh, when we fuel better before and after workouts, which again, to me, just makes complete sense. I mean, this is what I do, but because it makes sense, right? My goal is to keep doing what I like to do, not to do it once and then be sick and injured for six months and miserable and have to build back up. So absolutely.
1: Lauren, this is, this is so, this is so great to hear. Just, I was, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about my own example of on those rare occasions when I can't run in the morning because recently, mm-hmm. I've been forced to kind of have really early morning meetings at work. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it in the afternoon. So uh-huh. just kind of because of that routine, I've already had breakfast. If I'm going out at 11 a.m., I've had something. Right. I've been up for a little while. And then all of a sudden I'm running and I'm like, wow, this this feels so much easier. Like today's Yay! eight mile easy <laughs> run at a faster pace. Why does this feel so much you know, better? And it's... Then in Thank my you. head, I was like, yeah, I think it's probably because I've eaten, you know. Uh, <laughs> <and> just. <laughs> but for some reason, it's that like the 615 thing where you have to kind of make that as a habit too. Can you talk a little bit about like, okay, so this is like pre-workout. You, you did mention like the importance also post-workout. Can you? Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I guess, can you talk a little bit more about the post-workout nutrition as well in terms of the importance of that, depending on the type of workout you're sure. doing? Sure.
0: Yes. And if I forget to circle back to that in a second, please remind me because I think something you said was so beautiful and amazing is you figured out because you're paying attention that when you eat, you feel better even on an eight mile run. An eight mile run is such a weird number time distance for so many runners that run longer. This eight mile run ends up in this nebulous of like not that long. I've done longer in my life. Maybe it's not a big deal, but it's long, right? Like your body has to work for eight miles and you will feel the difference. So I would really say to you and to everybody else, do those trials, see what happens if you eat breakfast on a weekend, if you have to run an hour, an hour and a half later, pay a little bit of attention to how your energy feels, and then see how much it becomes more how much more worth it it becomes to say you know what in four minutes i can eat a banana and i can go out and run like i really can do that you know or i did an eight mile run yesterday it really wasn't that hard for me to put three or four little pancakes into my toaster oven while i was stretching because i have to do that too um now that i'm not 22 anymore (laughs) and then get those pancakes in and you know what they were yummy and like i didn't need them i didn't really care but I ate them and I felt good on my run. So there's my justification to continue doing it. So you've already felt it. I would just encourage you to play with that. Um, in terms of recovery. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, 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 please go ahead.
0: In terms of recovery. I mean, I feel like that's one of the other biggest places in the day that I really play with what athletes are doing and especially normal working, busy adults. So, you know, those of us that take ourselves seriously because it's fun too, but not because it's ever gonna get me anywhere. Like no one really cares what place I come in in my next triathlon or whether I PR in that run, but like, it's fun to do that. And I really enjoy that. So I'm right in that group as well. Um, although I I did earn $35 in a turkey trot once, but I don't think that makes me any less of a, a recreational athlete. Um, so really prioritizing that recovery it's only for us, right So we have to be doing it for ourselves. And it's really easy to just say, "Well, I got my run in, and now I have to get to work, and there are so many other things to do, And either, I'm not hungry, or I can push through it," which is the worst one, because as athletes we're used to, like just three more hill repeats. Yeah, push there. Don't push through, I'm hungry, and my legs are tired. Mm-hmm. So really, again, recognizing, prioritizing that recovery nutrition, I think um, is huge. And that makes a very big impact in our long-term recovery, our muscle mass, our strength, and our immune function, absolutely. You know, if we're depleted after a workout, our body starts to conserve and long-term, especially after long-distance endurance events. I mean, the rates post-marathon of upper respiratory infection range somewhere around 40%, just because that's such a, a big task for our body to do and recover from. And then people are doing, you know, especially like myself as a runner triathlete person, you know, ultra runners may do long runs back to back. Marathoners may do a long run on the weekend. And we just kind of poo-poo it and move on with our day. But really, your body has to do a lot. So focusing on that recovery nutrition, uh, maybe taking a month and say, okay, you know what? February is recovery month for me. And I'm going to really prioritize getting in my carbs and my protein, after almost every single workout and I'm gonna wait till March first. And then after I've been doing it for a month, I'm gonna think about was that worth my time and effort? And nobody's gonna go back. Nobody, nobody's gonna make the decision that, oh, you know what, it wasn't worth it and I don't feel any better. Like I never hear that. So I would give it a one month trial of, hey, what do I need to do? What do I need to make in advance or have ready or buy on my way to work to say this is as important as putting on my sneakers before I go run down the streets of Manhattan or whatever, the mo- putting on your sports bra if you're a woman. You know, your most important thing of your run, it's also the recovery.
1: Sold.
2: Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Yay,
1: amazing? that makes me so happy.
2: <laughs> it's amazing to me to think, I mean, as we're such disciplined people and we take our training <sighs> so seriously. Yeah. But- I mean, I'll speak for myself. This is something that it's just a huge blind spot. It's a huge blind spot. And I think it's because it's because it's at that sort of molecular level, you can't see it. And then mm-hmm. if you're doing okay, you don't think that something is going to make it better. You want to. It's like, oh, get all the, the sticks and the bands and the weights and the balance boards. But yeah. it's good to um, be reminded. Yeah. I love the idea that you're talking in the long term because our podcast and our philosophy on coaching and running is really in it for the long term. And to be able, I like how you were talking about, you'll see the incremental improvements and you might not get injured as much. Um, You did bring up something that was interesting in terms of some of the studies that you've read. And one of the um, caveats you pointed to was that, oh, well, this was tested on men and not women. Can can you talk Hmm. a little bit about the differences between recovery and PrEP for women as opposed to men? Is it much different? I
0: think we can only talk a little bit about it, because there are only a couple of people actually studying it. Um, and I remember when I was at Berkeley doing my graduate studies, um, they didn't do studies on men. And, I mean, they didn't do studies on women at all. And as graduate students, we had to be part of each other's research studies, so we were in those when we did the real big studies that were getting published. And I remember asking as an athlete, why don't we study women? And the answer I was given is it's just too hard because of the menstrual cycle. So it was just another thing that needs to be like, everyone needs to be in day X of their cycle, each of the four times they come in. And like, we we really just don't have the time and the money to study it. So we were kind of ignored because we have a, a cycle that is obvious that people realize there were fluctuations within Uh, whereas men have nothing obvious that people could point to and be like, oh, we have to standardize this. Um, So it's still harder to do studies in women because of that, and there are a few people doing it. There is some research separating differences between men and women, um, but we need a lot more. So I think that's an area that's going to be a lot harder to give specifics. There are some studies in the past five or so years looking at different phases of the menstrual cycle and how women are going to burn through carbs and or fluids a little bit faster during uh, different, different phases. And maybe we need a little bit more protein. And sometimes we do really need to be on the higher end of carbs, depending on where we are in the cycle. But what I find is I don't get to that conversation with most people because there's a lot to do before we get there. Like first we have to have breakfast, then we have to fuel our long run. Then we need salt. Then we need recovery. By the way, have you eaten a vegetable today? Please also include a cupcake. Like we never, you know what I mean? It it takes, I have like before the New York marathon, I had that conversation with maybe two or three of my female athletes with where they were going to fall in their cycle and how, because we were already up to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wouldn't jump to that unless everything else feels like it's already in place.
2: That's so interesting to hear that. There's so much to do before you even get to that part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's why it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Again, I love what I
0: do because like I see, you know, as athletes and as someone who has been an athlete my whole life, I am a very competitive, but mostly within myself mm -hmm. kind of person. And I love to push up those hills. Or to get stronger on the bike and feel like, wow, I nailed that workout and damn it, I'm going to have a great day. I feel so amazing. Mm -hmm. And that stuff, athletes are really good at pushing. So then when we get to the nutrition, it's like, well, maybe I'm just supposed to be more miserable and maybe that's good, but it's not. So that's where we need to separate the athlete's push. This is hard. You work hard. But if it's harder because you didn't eat enough, that's just wrong, right? And like just change that mentality. That's you doing talk- yourself a disservice.
2: Uh-huh, right, not being able to reach your potential.
0: Yeah, that's not helpful. It's like doing four long runs back-to-back on four days. Not helpful ever, right? You'd be training for some really weird thing for anyone to ever recommend that, right? That's not,
2: yeah.
0: I'm behind in my training. Let me do four long runs and make up for four weeks. No, you know, that's just no. So their nutrition yeah. has to be like, oh, I don't fuel because it's going to make it harder. And that's good. No, also
2: no. We get questions and, you know, I've done it unintentionally of going out for a long run without having eaten and then calling it a depletion run and thinking that that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Almost making it so itself, I think that's okay,
2: <laughs>
0: Right. I think that's okay. But, you know, because... And, you know, I'm also a mom of three kids of very dangerous media consumption ages um, about to be, they're about to be 14, 12 and nine. So this is like very much in my world, both as a mom and as somebody in the nutrition health profession world, there is so much information out there, like you can find the answer you're looking for to any question, you know, like the earth is flat, there's probably a website that's going to guarantee you the earth is flat, right? And like, if that's what you really want to believe, you're just going to go there and stay there, so if I want to justify anything in the nutrition world, I can find a website that's going <laughs> to hear what I, or say what I want to hear, and I can just live there, um, but I would just say, like, have I ever gone out and bonked? Uh, yeah, actually, when I was in grad school, I ran uh, this small marathon uh, just for fun. I don't even know why. I think I wasn't, you know, it was just like, oh, there's a marathon. Let's go run it, and I didn't really know what I was doing, and this was back in when would this have been? 98 or something? And I just ran this marathon and all of a sudden at some mile, like 2021, I was like, oh, I can't really see. Things are black and fuzzy. My legs feel like bricks. I was like, I think this is what hitting the wall feels like. And I got lucky that I was near an aid station and that I had the wherewithal to stop. And I stood there for a few minutes and like, guys, what do you have? And drank some, whatever the sports drink was. And then was okay and plodged along and I was like oh that was just a mistake right so if you go out for a run and you didn't mean to do a depletion run I think it's really important to acknowledge it because from there quickly I go ah if I don't want that to happen again I need to eat before and carry stuff with me and I also right now need to be extra nice to my body for a few days because that's going to take my body a lot to recover from That's depletion is not easy to recover from, so I'm going to adjust my workouts the next couple of days if I don't want to do myself more harm.
1: Interesting to hear you say. <laughs> I was I was laughing over here as you were saying. Well, if you want to find the flat Earth theory and believe in that, you 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 can find yourself a site for that. Uh, right. I, <laughs> you know, we could have used a million analogies, but that's the least controversial
0: one I think. So right. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, and and then. Just to kind of play devil's advocate on the other side, you also, you know, there yeah. are uh, other people that I've heard say like, hey, if I kind of do these depletion runs or take far less during training than I do on race day, I'll actually be, I'll perform better on race day for some reason. I wonder how much of that is just <laughs> this mental thing actually, or like, yeah. it's, like, I personally... When I read that just had raised eyebrows but I, I thought that might be a you know recipe for disaster in terms of injury cuz <laughs> how much of your time is spent training versus race yeah. day is just this kind of right. I don't know like 1% of your overall mileage or less um right. so what are you you know just one of your thoughts So on that.
0: so many thoughts and different angles are are flying through my head at rapid rate but um I think the first one is you're always going to have a performance advantage on race day. If you can take in carbs, there are preferred fuel and there are companies out there touting different products, saying other things, but the science is really not there. And we're never, ever from any science I've ever read on physiology, that's been written long before I was born and doing any of this. We're we're never going to see a time when carbs are not important for high end intensity performance. Like they've tried, the fat adaptation studies in the Stanford swimmer were like over 20 years ago now. And they're like, Oh, look, they burn a little bit more fat. And at the end of the day, you know, as in my graduate work, the questions they taught us all the time is every time you're reading a study say, who cares? Why do I care? Was this done well? So it's like, okay, the Stanford swimmers burned a tiny bit percent more fat. Who cares? Did they swim faster? Did they feel better? Did they recover? Are they sick? And once I get to all those and I get all those. Do we care that they were burning a couple percentage points more fat? No. Did it change their body comp? No. So we're looking at those kinds of things over time. Um, So in terms of people can say anything and people can believe anything and the power of the mind is very strong, just like my green socks make me fast. So, you know, I'm sure my green socks make me fast if I think they do, but people really start to believe things, which is fine, but that doesn't mean that everyone else should be trying them. So all that just to say that you know it's very appealing to any of us who are done, and I've done Ironman triathlons, which for me took like 12 hours, and you have to fuel for 12 hours, and that's hard. It's hard to take that in. It's hard to swallow it. Marathoners, ultramarathons, everyone, it's very hard to take in, absorb in your gut. So it becomes very appealing to say, well, what if I trained my body to burn more fat and I didn't have to do that? Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> But very quickly, we get to the point, it's not possible. So you will never see an Ironman athlete who doesn't have to fuel during a race. That's not a thing. You will never see the winner of the marathon not take in fuel and the next guy lost because he took in fuel. You will never see that, never. So that's not a goal. So I think, you know, just to go back and continually, especially in this realm of nutrition, which there's so much information and everyone, including, you know, your dog could be an expert if they knew how to type on a computer. It's just to really keep asking yourself questions. Does this make sense? Have I tried it? Did it make me feel better? Is there research to support it? You know, then where am I?
1: Yeah. I, I love the idea of that. In, in I think what I'm also kind of picking up on is that everyone's going to be a little bit different, right? Like yeah. so what, what works for one person on the other end, especially you working so closely on the topic of nutrition across I don't know, various different disciplines uh, of athleticism. So like working with a triathlete versus just a runner versus just a cyclist. Can you talk a little bit about the nuances on how you figure out what might work for one person and, you know, will not for, for someone else?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many differences. If we take things that make sense to people, like, you could take 100 people, they could eat the same thing for 20 years, their cholesterol levels, their blood sugars, their weight will be different, right? We're very different for so many reasons, including genetics and so many things that we don't and I don't expect to fully understand. Um, so I think it's really important to take the science and say, OK, the science shows that hydration is really important. And so, OK, let me look at that and then say, let me look at my sweat rate and let me look at how much I need to drink, you know, in terms of let's say sweat rate. Cause I just went there. I have an athlete who's qualified for the Olympic marathon trial a whole bunch of times. And she's super amazing. And by the time she came to me, it was just like, Hey, is there anything I can do? Like she was already super good and you know, anything nutritionally and her diet was really good. And she came in and I was like, Whoa, you really don't drink much. And she's like, yeah, I don't sweat. And I knew she had to be right because She was successful and doing well. And when we did a sweat test, she had one of the lowest sweat rates I've ever seen of anyone in my entire life, which made her a prime candidate to be a a great marathoner, right? Um, That's not me. I sweat a pretty good amount and that's not going to change. So I just need to know that. And if I were ever to run with this woman for like the 10 seconds, I could keep up with her maybe. But in theory, uh, we would not want to cue off each other because she would way over drink keeping up with me and I would be dehydrated and dying because I would need a different amount. So we could both read some well-meaning handout, or even worse, sorry, worse, but like Instagram post, tweet, something, of which I put things out there, but um, then every person needs to decide. Like, okay, the average athlete sweats 32 ounces an hour. Okay, am I an average sweater? I don't know, you probably know, right? Like if I asked you guys, do you sweat a lot? You probably have an answer.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like average amount. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm probably average to less.
0: Right. And most of the time you're going to be right because you've seen yourself and other people sweating, right? Yeah. And so you know like, no, I really don't sweat or no, I really sweat a ton. And then you're going to adjust and go, okay, well, so that 32 ounces was the starting point. And this woman was like, I don't sweat. And she really like barely like 12, 14 ounces an hour. It's like, wow, that is genetically impressive, but great. Um, and then she knew, like, don't listen to those recommendations. You know, you should not be drinking that much. Whereas other people have really high sweat, right? And they, and then you go into sodium. And so if I asked you each, hey, if we all went for a run in New York, because here's where we are, in July, so things sweaty and we're gross, would you have salt caked on your face and on your shorts when you came back? Would either of you notice that?
2: Yeah, I have before in the summer, like August. Yeah, right. So
0: that would be a sign. Okay, we should pay attention to your sodium intake, right? So you're going to need to replace sodium more if you notice that you're losing it, and you can physically see it.
1: Yeah, those are such great concrete examples in terms of like figuring those tiny little pieces out.
0: Just because this comes up all the time. And I feel like my job as I choose to view it is to, again, look at the science and then help each individual person, athlete or non-athlete, you know, reach their goals and be their best self. So not following and chasing things that aren't going to work. Like someone could tell me, Lauren, you want to beat your PR in the marathon? You've got to run 80 miles a week. I would go, that's not going to work. Like, I can't run 80 miles a week. I will break. And if I had a coach that was like, no, you have to do that. I'm like, well, then this isn't going to work. Because I could tell you that's not, I can't run 80 miles a week. So you got to find another way. Um, So in the nutrition realm, macros are like macronutrients are something we sports dietitians have been talking about our whole lives because that just means carbohydrates and proteins and fats and things that we need. And now it's become this whole trend and business of do you have to count your macros and what exactly do your macros have to be? And so in terms of that, everyone's going to feel a little bit differently on different amounts. And I would just say, if any, if you read anywhere that there's an exact macronutrient composition that does anything that can't be the case. Right. Like there is no exact macronutrient composition that will get you anything, whether it's fat loss or fame or fortune or married or your PR. No, it doesn't make any sense. So everyone has to play with those things and kind of see where they are. So just another really, I think something people bring up a lot. That's like a hot topic. If we say, in terms of the really individualized realm. And I see people athletes because we're so goal oriented and we're willing to sacrifice and push, right? Like people go through so much negative consequence in terms of making nutrition choices and trying to follow something for good without paying attention. Cause they are just in that athlete mentality of like, you know, real hill repeats hurt, long runs hurt. And my nutrition is making me miserable. That that sounds like sure, but you know, again, that third one doesn't make any sense. Your nutrition should be supporting you.
2: Can you talk a little bit about the diets for vegans and vegetarians? Because when you read suggested formulas, as you're saying, like not to do, which I'm glad to hear. <laughs> yeah, I find grams are mean nothing to me like i can't see 8 <laughs> grams on a plate like i can see like a piece of salmon the size of a soap bar yes. or like a cup of broccoli i understand that but the grams doesn't make sense at all Um, can you kind of translate that and also speak a little bit about how people who aren't eating meat and animal products can get what they need?
0: Yes. And thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really important. So I can be guilty as someone who thinks about foods and numbers and carbs and grams, because I have to calculate that for people sometimes be like, Oh, 20 grams of carbs. But most of the time quickly, I'm like, that probably doesn't make any sense to a normal person. (laughs) Right. Um, unless you're really looking at it. So I try not to think and teach that way because we don't really want to be eating grams of things. I want to be eating an enjoyable meal and I want to pay attention to am I full and how much is that? and, you know, did I enjoy it and how am I performing? That said, there are certain things, like let's say, for example, female endurance athletes, I see a huge percentage And I don't know that this is statistically correct, but I want to say like a good over half of the female endurance athletes I see are not getting enough protein. So whether it's 48% or 55%, I don't know, but it's a huge percentage. So for endurance athletes that are female, I would focus on protein intake no matter what. And for the guys too, I just want to say that's one area where across the board, more of the men seem to be doing a better job getting their protein. Um, vegan or non-vegan it's just i think culturally guys were programmed to eat their meat maybe we weren't always Um, in terms of being vegetarian or vegan i have high level elite triathletes marathoners that are vegan and that's not my choice to make for them again my role is to help them get what they need so i've had vegan and vegetarian athletes come in to be like I don't know if I should be doing this and I've also had them referred in by their coach saying fix this tell them they can't be vegan I'm like well that's not my job my job is to see what they're eating and see what they're missing and help them decide what to do and most of the time if they want to be vegan and they're going to take the time and the energy to figure out okay a cup of lentils is 16 grams of protein and I do need some of these numbers in my head because I need 80 or 90 grams in a day and so for a few days they're going to write it down and we're going to kind of look at it or they'll the smartphones like when I started practicing in 2003 we didn't have those now everyone can take pictures and bring me like here's what I ate it helped so you don't have to log it and try to figure that out which is time consuming and not accurate and I am trained to look at food and think of them in like packages mm-hmm kind of interpret that and i could say oh you know what ann it looks like i'll give you the numbers just for fun but you're missing about 20 grams of protein a day that equals any of these six foods do you like any of these foods can we work one of them in somewhere might i recommend putting it after your run so this is kind of the way this puzzle game conversation goes Um, and if someone comes back and they're like no lauren i hate beans i don't eat tofu I never cook. I'm like, well, vegans going to be really hard for you to meet your needs. What are we going to do about it? You know, and then that is the next conversation.
2: Do you look at uh, blood tests as part of your practice when you work uh-huh. with athletes? Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, I love to. I mean, of
0: course, the doctors need to look at their blood tests as well, and they do their interpretations. But as sports dietitians, we look at those all of the time. And sometimes things will concern me that have not yet concerned um, maybe a primary care doc or an OBGYN, and I'd be like, hey, this is something we need to circle back and talk to them about. I'm concerned or want to have more of a conversation about your trending, your iron and ferritin trending low, even though they're still in normal range, but we've seen them come down, and this isn't where we want them going into the season.
2: It's, I had an yeah, experience where I dug myself into an iron, low iron, low ferritin situation uh, and went to get a blood test and told the doctor that I was an athlete. And though mm-hmm. I was within the normal range on the low end, she said I was okay. And I knew, because I've been an athlete long enough to know that it was low on- the You didn't feel range. okay. Yeah, I didn't feel okay. Yeah. And low on a normal range for an athlete is not normal. So I actually went right. to a different doctor. But um, its I was alarmingly low. It was like 11. And then I got, um, like a year later, I got injured. And I during my injury time, I spent my injury- Recovery, getting my iron back up, and I think I got it up to forty or yeah. something. But um, it's that's something that I didn't know about until I found myself in a hole. So right. I think that what you, the services that you offer are very important, and just as people we're trying to get the most out of our our performance as possible. So I think the nutrition is such an important element. And Can you tell us a little bit about your practice and what you do for an athlete that walks in the door, like maybe feeling okay, yeah, but sure. just a little curious? Sure. Just to back up on something you just said,
0: um, I think that something to that's really important to remember. And when I talk with um, therapists and psychologists that I work with with our athletes on a whole host of things, including performance nutrition, but eating disorders for athletes, something we talk about all the time. And I, as an athletically minded, motivated person with a family and a business, and all of us, like we have to keep in mind, like, are my athletic training minutes and endeavors enriching my life or uh, is it making my life worse so for example if i'm sleep deprived not eating feeling like crap cranky not concentrating at work and yelling at my kids (laughs) that's not how i want to feel because i didn't always feel like that so then it would be time to take a step back and be like okay i can't train this week i need more sleep or something has to give or Mm -hmm. whatever i can't do the laundry we got to farm that out so i can sleep something has to happen and the nutrition piece, I think, you know, plays a big role there. Um, but also, really thinking about that balance—like, is my training enhancing my life? Is my athletic pursuit, and is that enhancing my life? And is my nutrition supporting that so that it can enhance my life, or am I just feeling worse and worse and worse? Right? Like, I'm digging myself in a hole.
2: That's such a good thing to remember because it seems so obvious, but it's true. We can, we get so caught, we can get caught up in the process and forget that it's supposed to be enjoyable and that it's a hobby.
1: Yeah. I'll actually say that like we, we coach athletes and work with, you know, we've been around for a while in terms of like looking at people's different journeys and like Uh how they got into running, where they're taking running and it can sort of, uh, looking at life holistically, right. It, running can become this escape from other things. And then that in itself yeah. can snowball into an addictive behavior mm-hmm. that can turn yeah. into something unhealthy and then kind of contribute to the rest of it. So I think it's so important to look at it holistically. Um, something you said earlier. About and if you, you guys, guys are go, ahead. No, no, go are ahead.
0: looking at that and that's something that's on your radar as coaches, that is so impressive and makes me so happy uh, because I think, you know, a lot of coaches do not do that. And they just think train, perform, train, perform. And when we hear, you know, we all hear stories. And I mean, we live in New York City, which is a very small, very huge city. It's kind of how I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows everybody in the running community pretty much. Um, and people tend to look up to people who are training really hard and working a million hours a week and doing what looks like crazy stuff. Um, but that's not necessarily something that we should be uh, ascribing to. You know, because you don't really know how that person is feeling or what they're literally running away from. I mean, we all run because we get a lot out of it, right? So many emotional and freedom and fun and meditation and whatever that I get out of my running. But if it's the only thing that someone has in their life, then that will take its toll for sure. And that'll cause us to make health decisions like going for the run when we're super tired or not feeling well when we're hungry because of some weird thing we made up in our head you know, that won't help us. So it's refreshing to hear you talk about that.
1: It, it's actually refreshing to hear you validate that yeah. <laughs> on the other end from someone as like an expert like yourself to know that we're doing the right thing because actually we we were just working with athletes right now. One of them said like, I'm, you know, this week has been just tremendously hard at work. I've been doing 12 hour mm-hmm. shifts. And we said, all right, just, you know, we're going to, we're just going to cut back on most of the running. Actually, you're in taper to begin with. Nothing's going to come off of that. So it's really right. good to hear that. That's kind of, you know, that's, that's the right approach to take. Um, well, right.
0: I, Cause I mean, if you, if you took five or 10 or we need a hundred athletes, but I'm sure we have them, hundred athletes leaving up, up to a marathon and 50 of them got advice like yours. And let's say really tried to listen and thought and knew because they believed their coach and it made sense. And they said, okay, it's going to be okay. And they probably make it to the starting line. And they, most of them will have the best day they could have. And the other 50 that didn't get that advice, pushed through, didn't sleep, they all got sick, or at least 40 of them got sick. So now they're sick going into the race, or they're injured going into the race. And the percentage of that is super high. So I think that's where we really look Of like, okay, really, like, I'm an athlete, I can push, but is that, is that my best idea? Do I want to be sick before the race? Do I want to be injured during the race? And by continually asking ourselves those questions, I think we come up with our best answer. Like when you say, Oh, I'm just too busy. I'm not going to eat after my long run. I only ran 18 miles. And you know, my kid really needs to get the soccer practice. Say that out loud. That doesn't make any sense. You know, And like, would you say that in front of your kid? Be like, no, that doesn't make any sense. So you say it and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I need to do something about that. Or I haven't slept in four days. I should do a long run. That kind of also doesn't make any sense. Right.
1: So. I, I, I like the idea of having them say that out loud.
0: Oh my God. I do that all the time, but it works with everything. Like, I mean, try it. And it doesn't matter how loud, like you, nobody even has to hear you obviously. And you don't even really have to say it out loud. You can just feel like you did. But if you say like, I haven't eaten a vegetable day and I don't care, or I'm going to eat that seventh cookie, or I'm going to skip my post-workout nutrition. Sometimes you'd be like, I want that seventh cookie, then have it like whatever. You're fine. But if you can't say it and think that's ridiculous, then maybe shift it right yeah
2: do you have any um do you have a stance on vitamin supplements and like protein powders things like that i mean i would say let's just touch that
0: really really quickly um my easiest because i'm all about trying to get the information to resonate my my best resonating answer to that is most of the pros and olympians are not doing it and would not put stuff into their bodies and if they don't need to really do we need to I mean, it's a, it's a grasping at straws of like, oh, I know I'm stressed and I don't sleep and I maybe don't eat well and my kid's sick. So maybe if I take $400 worth of vitamins, that will help. Well, probably not. You know, again, say it out loud. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Do I have vitamins in my cabinet that I take? Yes, I do. You know, do I recommend some to clients? Yes, I do. But I want to make sure it makes sense, right? Do we need a probiotic? Is something going on gut health? Do you need iron? Tons of my female athletes. I mean, we look at iron levels. We need it. We take it. Um, Men, it's a little more tricky with the iron. Plenty of people need some vitamin D. Maybe we, you know, there's like, yes, for sure. Uh, But it's just, it's just funny to me, like, Oh, do you eat breakfast after you run? No, I don't have time. Oh, what supplements do you take? Oh, these 15. How much do you spend a month? I don't know, like $400. I'm like, really? And you don't have breakfast? Like what what happened here?
2: Right. We were just joking the other day about how you are like literally pissing it away.
0: (laughs) I mean, but that said, you know, I mean, some of, I mean, think of some examples. Like when you say pissing it away, I immediately think B vitamins because if we don't need them, we kind of get rid of them. Um, but I guess I would say we have. Uh, it feels like a pretty high alcohol intake, even among athletes across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if this is everywhere, but at least in the city, people are out, they're social, we're drinking a lot. Maybe we need some more B vitamins, and maybe I'm willing to pee them away because, you know, mm-hmm. it was December and I went out a lot and I drank a lot, and I'm also training for a marathon. And so, sure, I'm willing. I'm willing to do that, and that seems like a good choice to me. Um, but there's a good reason behind it. There's a maybe there's right. a time frame involved. There's a recheck, and it's not because I read some article in a magazine that says advertisement in tiny letters at the top, but really it's just someone trying to pretend it's not an advertisement telling me that if I buy this supplement, I amazing mean, things will happen. It's never those
2: right. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> right. No, that's so just skip that and
0: get back to the regular article with the real science or the you know, fun person who just. Won the race, read about them. I just, just skip those. Those just
1: infuriate me. Yeah, we, we live in this, like, you know, this constant, it's kind of a world of, like, constant uh, information bombardment and everyone's kind of yes. fighting for your eyeballs. So they'll just say anything, stretch the numbers, or, like, you know, this really junk science is all over the place. So it's really hard to kind of find what's right or not. and And, you know people who are marketing, they're pretty smart. They know what people's insecurities are so they can hit those points and really kind of get you to buy something. So it's it's good Good to hear someone like you to say like, yeah, actually, can you just do a little bit more research behind it to see what the science is, how they came up with that?
0: I mean, again, if my back hurts and I've decided I want to go to a chiropractor, am I going to go to a chiropractor online who tells me something that I do that my kid does to my back to crack it to my, no that doesn't make any sense. So like why does any like oh I need surgery. I'm just gonna have my friend do it. Like none of that makes sense. This guy online says you just I'm gonna take this little thing out right here. I'm just gonna cut my arm open. No, you don't do that. But for some reason, you know, marketing plays into these so hard that people will just take nutrition, training, supplement information from any random source. And maybe they're a doctor of something, and they went to medical school at some point, and they might be really good at what they do, but that doesn't mean they have the most up-to-date knowledge in nutrition or coaching or chiropractic, right? I think we each need to stay in our own lane, and I'm going to do what I do, and I am happy to tell my athletes, like if they tell me they're going to do three long runs in a row because they had weddings to go to the past weekends, I'm going to try to stop them and ask them if they have a coach and be like, no, you definitely should not do that, I'm not going to write them a training plan, right? That's Mm -hmm. like what coaches do. And I don't have the time to monitor it. So I write it and then it's stagnant. So I think really look at where your nutrition information is coming from. And, you know, you guys are coaches and some coaches are going to be really careful about it. And some coaches give very solid, small snippets of nutrition advice. But whether it's, you know, whoever it is, that's outside of their wheelhouse trying to give in-depth information about something they are not uh, trained in, I would question and say, I'm going to do my own research. Right.
2: Uh, How can people find you and your practice?
0: Sure. Thanks for asking. So my name is Lauren Antonucci and I am the owner director of nutrition energy. So if someone wants to find us, it's on whatever social media or regular internet platform you would like. you know, www.nutritionenergy.com or on Insta at Nutrition Energy and all of that. And um, I have a team of uh, seven amazing dietitians, a few of whom work mostly with athletes, some who work mostly with eating disorders, others who do GI health and women health. We've got a really good, um, well-rounded crew. And our offices, we have two as of last year. So we're in Midtown Manhattan and we're also downtown in the financial district. In New
1: York City. I have one question before we leave. Uh, do you, so if we take geography and sort of Uh-oh. time of year. I'm as, not going uh,
0: to geography, but okay. Okay. No,
1: if we take the New York City geography as in like uh-huh. our, you know, one variable and then time of year, okay. let's say seasons, another variable. Are there patterns that you observe in athletes coming in at a certain time of year because they live in ah. the Northeast and you keep seeing like, oh, during this time of year, this, they're, I don't know, deficient in this, or this is happening from like a dietary perspective oh, yeah. or or drinking goes I, up at this.
0: I thought you were going to ask me to put all the states on a map in 30 seconds perfectly. And I was definitely <laughs> going to mess something up. Um, so I, I got a little nervous, but this kind of geography, I'm, I'm totally fine. So vitamin D is something that we've been writing about recently and something we see, um, athletes low in and it's really important for a whole host of things the one you might think of is bone health but also blood sugar control and a whole host of other things so unless we're taking lots of lovely warm vacations in the sun and it's the sun not the warmth but they were associated in my brain um, and making vitamin d throughout the winter we see a lot of low vitamin d um in terms of this type of year, of course, we hear a lot of athletes talking about, hey, I gained some weight in the offseason, or I have 5, 10, 20, 40 pounds that I've put on over the past however many years. And before I start training in earnest this year, I really want to work on that. Um, so we definitely see that type of thing at this time of year, which I think, you know, we can focus on. Some of those body comp changes at this time of year but the only way that i like to do it is again from a really good practical place like if i lose weight and i am not recovered and i lose strength i have missed my mark so i don't like to do that um so you know we don't want to lose weight at the expense of immune function and feeling good and training right so that just needs to be timed. Uh, and then of course we get into pre-boston so early April. And then straight through October, November, we've got all the runners, marathoners, triathletes, um, who start to at various points, the really organized ones three to four months before their race will come in. Like I just started training. I'm doing an Ironman. Let's work on this. And I'm like, this is great. And then the last minute people who are like, Oh crud, Uh, I'm running a marathon this Saturday. And last year I didn't finish because I got dehydrated. So like, can we deal with that now? I'm thinking you waited how many weeks to deal with that, but okay, let's try. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, encourage people to get on top of that type of thing earlier. Um, You know, we tend to see a lot of the nutrition stuff is really, again, it's cumulative. It's about what I always call longevity in sport. Like I, I don't know many people that say, I love running. I want to be able to run as fast as possible for one month. And then I don't care if I never run again. Like that's not too common. So thinking really of longevity and, hey, if I take the weight loss too fast or if I don't pay attention to my or I'm just super busy and I skip breakfast after every workout before, you know, it hits me that I feel terrible, it's going to take a long time to undo those. So I feel like throughout the season, we spend a bunch of time digging out of things, kind of like you said, Anne, like, oh, shoot, my iron got really low and it took me a while to dig my way out. We can't just magically make that go up. You can't take crazy amounts. Just like if, if a woman hasn't been menstruating for a year or three because she's been under fueling and there isn't a medical thing, it's a nutrition thing. And we see this often, you know, that's going to take time to build back up, to get their body to wake back up, to get their metabolism going, to get the menstruation back, to help facilitate bones. So we have to be more patient than we like to be with some of those things. I don't know if that answered your question. I went in
1: a bunch of directions. Oh no, it absolutely did, Lauren. Thank you so much. Like every single thing you attacked it from like, maybe attack is too aggressive a word, but you gave us answers from every single angle. Like it was so, so, so good. Thank you so much. I'm pretty sure a whole bunch of our listeners will be interested in contacting you directly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for, for your time today. Well, good. Thank you
0: for reaching out after that uh, Fixed Women's Sports event. I mean, this is obviously a topic I find uh, fascinating, exciting, intriguing, super important. So to help empower people to feel like they know how to fuel themselves, which sounds so simple, but is so complicated. And for athletes specifically to feel comfortable eating and fueling and know that it's right and not always second guessing. But- What if I skipped this, what if I did that? What if I ate this? What if I didn't? That's too confusing. Like that's just, you know, let's get to a place where most of the time this does not take up a huge portion of my day because I kind of understand what I need. I'm listening to my body. I don't have to count 50 million macros to listen to my body and go, Oh, I ate lunch two hours ago, but I'm really hungry. I'm going to go make myself snack. Like that's, I don't, I shouldn't, that shouldn't take me an hour to figure out like, hold on, let me log everything. I should just be able to go. I guess I was busy this weekend. I don't really know. I'm hungry. Like the answer is, let me go make a snack, right? Not, oh, am I supposed to, you know, maybe, you know, am I about to go for a run would be factored in what my snack is, but bigger picture, you know, getting this to run more on autopilot because we've put in some time and energy thinking about it.
2: Right. Get starting those good habits. That's important. At whatever
0: age, right? So, yeah. and I am almost finished writing a book on uh, performance nutrition for master's athletes. Ooh. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I can't even believe it's almost over, but um, the writing <laughs> process is over. And through this process, it's, it's allowed me the opportunity, my science brain, to be entertained more than I have allowed it in the past bunch of years when I'm so clinical focused. Um, so I've been reading every study on every nutrition topic to make sure that I haven't missed a thing when we talk about some of these little nuances, and it's specifically in masters athletes, so over 35, um, when it becomes more and more important. And I've interviewed, I I won't mention anybody's name now, but like a host of amazing, brilliant, phenomenal, talented, beautiful athletes. Um, So we'll get to hear their stories as well, and kind of how they've figured everything out for themselves or didn't and still are. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to mesh those two things. So stay tuned.
2: Wow, congratulations. That's huge. Do you have a potential release date for that?
0: So I think they're slating for this fall. This is my first book, but I think the editing takes a bunch of months once we're done, So, um, which makes sense. And then they have to do their magic to turn it into a, a book and get it out there. So I think by this fall, we should be able to uh, get that out to everybody to, to oh, that'd have. That'd be
1: great. We'd love to have you back on once you release the book, once it's out there.
0: Sure. Yeah, and then sure. We'll that. we'll put you on the tour. I don't know how big the tour is going to be, but you're on it. That's it. Oh,
1: let's do it. So thank oh you. God, that'll be amazing. I now have a book tour. <laughs> that's what awesome. we do. That's we it. just yeah, we just put it out on the podcast, even if we haven't like put a date for something. We're like, well, we're on the hook for it now. <laughs> but see, that's just
0: like my saying things out loud, right? And there's a lot of that yes, kind absolutely. of work
1: absolutely i've been
0: to like women's running retreats and you kind of at the end you're like say something you want to do in the next year and you say it and you're like whoa i just heard myself say that it's gonna happen <laughs> now i have to do so. it
1: yeah <laughs> um speaking of awesome th- it has been super fun talking to you yeah, too. likewise
2: thank you so much lauren
0: you are so welcome uh have a great day you too Bye. bye bye